Hello, and welcome to I Get That A Lot. I'm Jim Fishwick. On this show, every episode, a special guest tells us all about the annoying jokes other people make about their name. And this episode's guest is, drumroll, Bridie Connell. Bridie is an actor, writer, improviser. You would have seen her on the Australian Whose Line Is It Anyway? You would have seen her on the ABC's show Tonightly. She won an ARIA award for her song Sex Pest. You can, if you want, categorise the people you meet by how nice they seem to be and how nice they actually are. People who seem nice but aren't are yuck. People who seem mean but are nice once you get to know them are rewarding. People who seem mean and are mean are at least honest. And then every so often you'll meet someone like Bridie, who seems lovely but turns out to be even kinder, more generous and enthusiastic than you could have imagined. In this episode, she tells us about her changing relationship with weddings, about being over the hill at 22, and about the poster quote she received from Scott Morrison. I'll be back at the end with more, but until then, here's I Get That A Lot with Bridie Connell. Hello. My name is Bridie Kennedy Connell, full name just for you, and I am an actor and a writer. Uh, I'm originally from New Zealand, but now I live in Australia doing fun, creative things, which is a very nice way to spend my time. There are a lot of jokes that I get about my first name, Bridie, that I've gotten my whole life through, (laughs) starting really from an early age when I was teased a lot about um, the name Bridie and things around the world of weddings and love, which to a primary school age child is, as we all know, disgusting. So I was often told, (laughs) here comes the Bridie. You may now kiss the Bridie. All of those jokes every single day of primary school, which was just horrifying. The idea of kissing anybody, revolting. Kissing, disgusting, should be illegal. That's what primary school Bridie thought. So then to have my name inserted into the idea of somebody being kissed was just an outrage. Um, And in fact, when I was quite little, about six or seven, I announced to my parents that I would never, ever, ever get married because it would be too embarrassing when the priest and entire congregation at my wedding made jokes about here comes the bridey, you may now kiss the bridey, always the bridey, and I just decided it would be better to forget the whole thing entirely and uh, resign myself to a life of singledom. Yes, I have relaxed that position somewhat in my older age. I'm, I'm open to it, but I will still yell at anyone in attendance at my wedding. Who, uh, who makes those jokes. <laughs> now that I've gotten older, it's less about here comes the bridie and you may now kiss the bridie, but I do get a lot of jokes now that I've been bridesmaid a few times, which is always the bridesmaid and also always the bridie. Yes, very funny. I've never heard that before. <laughs> so I get a lot of jokes like that. In year three, my tennis coach started a nickname which stuck and I was called Groomy for a whole year, as in bride, bridey, groom, <laughs> groomy, which I didn't understand for a while because I thought he was saying goosey and I did not understand. But 
groomy. That was a nickname that stuck for a while. So I do get a lot of jokes around that. Now I'm sort of more fond of it. But at the time, as I said, I thought it was oh, just the worst thing that had ever happened to anyone. <laughs> I think the contempt came from the fact that it was to do with love and kissing. Um, you know, the idea of boy germs, girl germs, all of that sort of stuff. My goodness me. But I also think I just felt very aware as a kid that my name was quite different to everybody else's. And Bridie is, you know, I don't meet very many Brideys. Perhaps if I were in Ireland, I would, although it's quite an old lady name <laughs> in Ireland. <laughs> I think it's like the equivalent of if I were called Shirley or something, my beautiful Nan's name. So, you know, perhaps if I were in a different part of the world, there would be more Brideys that I would come across. But I just felt really aware that my name was quite different. And a lot of the kids in school sort of struggled with it or they would call me the wrong name or they just didn't get it. Or often teachers would assume that it was the nickname for Bridget, which Bridie often is. But in my case, nope, my name's just Bridie. That's on my birth certificate. So my name would be formalized and I'd be called Bridget. And I just thought, no, I just want you to get my name right. And in fact, I got so deeply frustrated by this whole situation when I was pretty little, about six, that I declared to my parents that I would change my name. And... At the time, I was reading an excellent book by the name of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and I had gotten up to the part where I'd been introduced to the character Violet. And I thought that was the most beautiful name I'd ever come across, Violet Beauregard. So I said to my parents, I'm not Bridie anymore. You may call me Violet. <laughs> I was quite an imperious six-year-old. And then my parents, because they're excellent sports, they called me Violet for about five days or a week, however long it took until I got to the part in the book where Violet's spoiled nature is punished and she's turned into a blueberry. And then I thought, oh no, I've named myself after a fiend. I can't be named. Yeah, I have. So I then declared, actually, I've changed my tune. I quite like the name Bridie again. Uh, you may you may resume normal programming and call me Bridie. And it's funny, you know, I did spend a few years sort of being a bit frustrated that people struggled with my name, but now I'm really fond of my name. I really like that most people in my family have Irish names celebrating, you know, our heritage and all of that. And I get very excited when I meet other brides. It doesn't happen very often, but I love it when, when it does. And it's nice to have a name that not everybody has and I can, you know, tell them about. So I've, I've really come around since primary school. In school, you want to fit in. You don't want to bring any attention to yourself. You know, that's how we're all sort of conditioned. Um, and so having a name where people go, huh, what? You know, oh, no, I wish I was called Sarah or Violet Beauregard. <laughs> Something that people could get on board with immediately. And it does take a while to come around to that. My parents were really terrific, though, because they've always taught my brother and I from a very early age, you know, don't dull down whatever it is that makes you you and they weren't talking about my name they were talking about you know whatever your passions are or whatever your personality traits are that other people might find strange and they said if you just keep on keeping on with that then you'll find the right people and you'll end up loving that part of yourself which I think is very good advice and they're very clever people but also my dad who was born and christened Brian always hated his name because you know growing up in sort of rural New Zealand he said there were so many Brian's and his name you know he didn't feel like it was a really great reflection of who he is as a person and he and my mother really wanted to make sure that 
you know, when they named their children, they had names that maybe were a little more exciting or a bit more unique, whatever. And in fact, he's changed his name now. He just (laughs) dropped the A and he's Bryn, which is, you know, the more Celtic version of the same name. And he has just like never felt more himself, which is lovely. And he only did this in the last few years, but I think it's such a nice lesson. You know, whatever your name is, if it's common or uncommon, it doesn't really matter, but as long as you sort of feel like you. And so he actually, you know, was lovely when I was little being like, you know, we chose Bridie deliberately because you looked like a Bridie when you were born and we thought Bridie's cool and it's got great origins and it means lots of cool things and we think that's a good name to sort of guide you through your life. And he said, there's nothing wrong with Brian, but it just wasn't me and I had to find that name, but we were pretty convinced that this name was right for you. And I think that's lovely. I suppose I've never really thought about it in any sort of deeper detail than just, you know, primary school kids all love to tease each other about our names. And I'm sure I'm guilty of doing that too. Um, But I think as well, I don't know if I want to get married. And if I do get married, I don't want it to be a joke. I want it to be nice. And, you know, I'm bridey by myself. I don't need other people to complete me. Of course, we all exist in relation to other people throughout the world. That's just how our lives unfold. But I think that there is a part of the whole wedding industry and bridal culture, which I've learned more about in the last few years with many of my friends getting married, that is so bride focused. (laughs) And thereby, I think maybe my brain just scans for the possibility of more bridey jokes if I ever go down that path. And, you know, it's funny too, because I spend a great deal of my life on stage or on screen. I'm certainly not afraid of the limelight um, or the spotlight, but usually when I'm on stage or um, the attention is sort of thrust my way, I'm a character. I'm sort of not me. I cannot think of anything more unsettling to me than the idea of walking up the aisle and everybody looking at me, Bridie, because I'm very used to having big audiences look at me, but me as a character and the idea of it just being me in a beautiful dress, nowhere to hide and no funny voice or gimmick or, or character offer to hide behind is quite terrifying. Like, wait, I have to be serious? I can't just do a wacky voice on stage? This is terrifying. I think I like to control the jokes around myself, I mean, as we all do, rather than having other people sort of direct them. And the whole idea of that weird, wonderful world of weddings is a little bit scary to me in that regard. And it's important that everyone listening understands something. I am a giant hypocrite, okay? Because (laughs) let's just put that on the record. (laughs) Um, Because as much as I've just said, the idea of throwing my own wedding like in a very traditional sense with all that sort of comes with it in this day and age scares me because being the center of attention just as bridey and not as a character is a completely different and quite daunting prospect to me but I will attend 
anyone's wedding because I love weddings and I love being a guest at them and I love the pageantry when it's for other people. I love being in an audience setting for the wedding. I've got one of my like closest, closest friends in the world, my beautiful cousin Jeremy. His wedding is coming up. I can't wait. Yes, please. It's going to be great. All the stuff that I find terrifying for myself, do it for the other people. Yes, I want to watch it. It's going to be great. But if it were me, I think I would just want a giant party and I just want everybody else to be having a great time. And I do think it is different when you come from a performing background because you are used to being the center of attention at times. You are used to doing photo shoots, things like that, which maybe if you're not a performer, your wedding day is when you experience that. And of course, maybe that feels more exciting and unusual and like something you really look forward to on the day. Whereas... You know, I enjoy that as part of my job, but it's, you know, not the part of my own wedding that I would look forward to the most. There's a very famous song. Well, maybe it's a case of world famous in New Zealand. But there's an excellent, famous song in New Zealand called Glad I'm Not a Kennedy. Kennedy. (laughs) uh, People have sung that to me and to my mother's side of the family, the Kennedys, many times on many drunken nights. Um, It's actually a banger, so I don't mind. Anything that creates a a bit of a show, a bit of a song and dance, I'm here for. It's great. I don't get too many jokes about my last name. Um, It's mainly just that my first and last name are often mispronounced. Uh, I get Connell a lot or um, O'Connell a lot or Connolly, (laughs) O'Connolly. The L is dropped. Extra letters are added. It's just Connell, but so often uh, Bridget O'Connell Uh, is what I'm addressed as in formal correspondence. And I don't know who that is. It's not me. My name is Bridie Connell. Also, my first name is mispronounced on, if not a daily basis, every other day for sure. So when I meet new people, it takes a lot of repetition sometimes from people to make sure they've got it right because I get Bryony, Riley. I had a substitute teacher in year two who called me Friday for weeks. And I was like, please read the role. My name is Bridie. There's no Friday on the role. So that happens a lot. Also within my dad's side of the family, before he changed his name, it was very confusing that he was Brian and I was Bridie. We have a Bryony and there's also a Heidi. So any sort of family get together was quite confusing. Someone would make just the I vowel sound and a whole bunch of different people would answer. (laughs) Friday, I didn't mind. There was a lovely time in sort of my early university days when uh, people would just sing the beautiful cure song, Friday, I'm in love, but just change it to Friday, I'm in love. I'm like, that's a strong personal brand. Go for it. As someone from New Zealand who's moved to Australia, what's that experience been like from a getting jokes made about your accent or nationality point of view? Well, I sort of have an interesting set of ears, not to brag, because um, I think just, you know, being an actor and um, 
Maybe it's just the way my brain is wired. Who knows? But my ears, wherever I sort of am around the world, I can't help but pick up sort of, if not an entire accent, but inflections and part of the accent. So certainly my accent most of my life has been or was a very thick Kiwi accent, but now it's a lot fainter than it used to be. And I've actually spent most of the last year back in New Zealand, riding out part of the COVID wave. And so when I got back to Australia a few months ago, all my friends here were like, oh my gosh, you sound so Kiwi, but it wears off fairly quickly. I went to Scotland when I was 16 and for, for a term and I came back with um, a Scottish accent. It's just sort of how my ears go. So <laughs> um, when I first moved to Australia to finish my degree, the first year my accent sort of stayed fairly strong and Kiwi and I definitely <laughs> was teased a lot. Not so much about my name, but just about fish and chips and those sorts of hilarious things. One, two, three, four, five, six, all of those sorts of things. Sucks. But no, I my voice tends to blend in after a while. It's just a little bit fainter. Although I do sometimes feel like I get teased lovingly, but teased here a little bit for having a Kiwi accent. And then when I go back home, all my friends in New Zealand tease me for sounding Australian. So... I think I just need my own rocky outcrop in the middle of the ocean, which I will make my own for people who have a half and half accent like me. (laughs) Where do I belong, Jim? Where do I belong? Oh, you know what's interesting, though? I do get given different nicknames based on where I am, and I've always found that interesting. People default to brittles in New Zealand. Like, so many people call me brittles in New Zealand. But in Australia, people default to brides. And I don't know why that is or where that comes from. I'm sure there's some sort of interesting explanation. I don't know what it is, but I've always found that quite interesting because I really can, like, draw a line and two camps on either side of the Tasman. That's what my nickname is. relationship with reviews and comments in general it's an interesting relationship I think interesting or just largely a neglected relationship actually something that happens a lot of the time in reviews and in comments people often get my name wrong in those Bridie O'Connell performed in this I'm like who is that that ain't me (laughs) Briley I got one time I think you know so I'm like, it's right there. It's in the program. (laughs) Copy the spelling. We'll all be fine. I have an interesting relationship with reviews and comments in general. And I'm pretty grateful that I learned early to largely ignore them. Some people love reading reviews and comments and find it like really instructive in terms of, you know, feedback from an audience. Um, And if that works for them, fantastic. Some people thrive off trolling. When I worked at Tonightly, all the cast members had a really different relationship with how we would engage or not engage with um, commenters and trolls and, and, you know, positive comments as well. My relationship was cool. I've published a piece and I will never look at it again and I will never look at the comments. Um, When I was about 22, I did a show at Adelaide Fringe Festival 
And I learned a really, really valuable lesson about reviews because for the same performance on the same night of my run, I got two reviews. So the exact same show, two reviewers were in the audience and I got one five-star review and one two-star review. And in the five-star review, it mentioned that one of the characters I played in this show, which had six different characters and I, and I played them all, um, it was a very, very cute, silly little show about six characters who are all trying to become famous in different ways. In the five-star review, the reviewer said that there was one particular character who was a taxi driver called Kevin, and he was lovely and very bumbling, was the character that absolutely made the performance. And that was what like basically tipped me over the edge to get a five-star review. In the two-star review, the reviewer said, the characters, you know, were fairly well-rounded, but there was one character, an English taxi driver, who just really ruined the whole flow. So that's why I got a two-star review. And it was actually such a valuable lesson to learn because I I was so delighted when I saw the five-star review. And of course, universe, I saw that one first. And I was like, yes, I'm the best actor who's ever lived. Brilliant. I'm a genius. And then quickly came back to Earth when I saw this two-star review. And then I thought, actually, this is great because if I'm going to read the reviews, I have to read all the reviews. And if I'm going to take the good comments, I have to date the bad comments too. I can't be selectively only taking the great stuff and um, completely denying the reality or validity of anyone who dares to criticize me. And so after that, I thought, cool, once I've created something, it is now not mine anymore. It's ours. It's mine and the audience's and they're entitled to take it however they wish. Uh, But also what they think of my work is not my business. (laughs) Um, So unless I need a pull quote for a poster, that would be a time where I might seek out a review so I can find something pithy to put on a poster. But apart from that, I don't really engage in comments or reviews. I have in the last couple of years changed that slightly. I got one very uh, scathing remark from current Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who called me a numpty after a sketch that I did um, on the ABC went viral. And I was thrilled. I was like, I would love to put that on a poster, even though it's mean. (laughs) Um, And also I was called uh, about the same sketch. The Daily Mail referred to me as alleged comedian, which is the best, like the best. And I loved it. It just made me laugh so much. (laughs) So it's like, I will take those. Thank you so much. And I hadn't actually set out to read the, um, Daily Mail article, but so many people sent it to me that I was like, okay, I'd better read it. And it was, it just made me laugh so much. So that was fine. I loved that. That's an exception to my rule of reading comments and reviews. I also learned early on about comments specifically. So the other example I gave was about reviews. The example I got about comments being something that I think I will avoid forever. Thank you very much. Was when I was announced as a cast member for the Australian version of Whose Line Is It Anyway, which was such, you know, an exciting time in my life and was, you know, remains one of the most fun times I've ever had. And that was my TV debut. And before I had even shot an episode, before they had released any episodes, we were still sort of in the period of, you know, rehearsing and jamming. The production company put out their press release (laughs) 
And so many people were tagging me being like, yay, Bridie, this is so exciting. And it was, you know, 99% positive, wonderful comments. And then, of course, the ones that I remember etched into my brain are the very few but very loud negative comments on this press release, which included things like, there's four women and three men in this cast, so I know it's going to be shit. And also, Bridie Connell, I've never heard of her. She can't be good. (laughs) And I was like, how do you know I can't be good if you've never seen my work? So that was a really good lesson quickly to be like, oh, some of these comments, they're not worth my time because they're so uninformed. Like you literally don't know what the show is and don't know who I am, but you're prepared to decry it. It was pretty illuminating, to be honest. So that was a pretty good lesson to learn, even though those things can sting at the time. Um, like the reviews and the comments, I actually am grateful for them because I think they've set me up for a much healthier relationship with feedback and reviews. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is pretty silly. You mentioned you worked on Tonightly. So there was a, a period of time where you were on national TV every night. Did you get recognised for that? Like, were you stopped in the street? Were there things that people would regularly say or recognise you from particular sketches? (laughs) Okay, so yes. Not to toot my own trumpet, Jim. I've shot hundreds of episodes of television, right? I had my TV debut five years ago and I've shot or, you know, recorded or been part of about 250-ish episodes of television. I'm really proud of myself, right? Because I've worked really hard to, to do it. Um, nobody knows who I am and that's absolutely fine. But shortly after, (laughs) shortly after Tonightly went to air, maybe we'd been on for a couple of weeks and, you know, we're on, uh, sorry, we're nationally broadcast every weeknight. Um, (laughs) yeah, a couple of weeks after we, we had premiered, I was filling up my car at the petrol station, um, because it's important to stay humble, you know, (laughs) and I could just feel someone's eyes on me you know when you just really you can just sort of sense it and then I looked around and sure enough there was someone who was just like really intently staring at me and in my brain oh my gosh she's just full of herself after being on tv for literally two weeks at like 9 p.m on abc comedy which it's not even a channel anymore I was like oh this is what it's gonna be like people are just gonna recognize me and absolutely just had this reaction full of myself right and then this guy came over to me and was like here we go this is this is what my life looks like now and he goes excuse me are you that actor and I was like yes I am and then he said I thought so I saw you in that weird Shakespeare improv show in 2013 (laughs) I was just outraged I was like what and it was not not a particularly great show. Like I knew the one he was talking about. I, w- I had like an off night. <laughs> it wasn't great. It lives in my memory for all the wrong reasons. I just wasn't particularly funny that night. And I was like, but I'm on, I'm on the television. Surely you should know me from the television. He had no idea. Um, and just instead remembered me from this not great Shakespeare improv show that I had done. No shade to the rest of the cast who were fantastic. And I thought, okay, that's a good lesson. Let's not get too big for our boots, Bridie. And so now I just assume that no one knows me and it's much better. Before you were writing and acting as your main 
profession, are there other jobs that you've worked where you would regularly get the same sort of jokes over again? All my jobs, really, that I've had before acting and writing was my main kind of thing, have all been fairly creative, actually. I've taught improv and and theatre sports for a long time, taught after-school drama, things like that. Um, Even before that, I was still working in education. I was tutoring in English, and inexplicably, I was a maths tutor for a couple of years, just for primary school age students who I was barely ahead of mathematically, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) I do not know how I was never found out. I used to use a lot of questions as my main teaching tool. So if a kid would go, "Um, Miss Bridie, is nine plus six 15? I don't know. I'd be like, what, is it? And they were like, whoa. And I'm like, mate, I'm just barely scraping ahead of you here. (laughs) I bought myself a lot of time when I taught math so I could figure things out and then answer confidently. But no, so I feel pretty lucky. Like all the jobs that I've had have been fairly creative. So even while, you know, I was working away at uni, everything I was doing was sort of related to what I've ended up doing creatively, which is nice. So it's always reinforced my creative point of view and my philosophies as a writer and actor The only thing that I found really weird when I've been teaching is being called (laughs) ma'am. I've taught at some pretty poncy private schools who are instructed to call everyone sir or ma'am. And I just don't enjoy it. I would love to be called sir, but ma'am, no thank you. So I instruct all my students to call me bridie. And at some schools, I've been told, no, they can't call you Bridie. They must call you ma'am. And I'm like, surely I get to choose. It's my name. And I just find it so stressful because to me, it just makes me think like I'm an 18th century governess. I don't like it. I don't answer to it. People go, ma'am, ma'am. And I'm not attuned to that. So I will accidentally ignore the children until they go, Miss Bridie. And then I'll turn around. So ma'am, it's a strange one. Yeah, it just makes me feel like uh, I'm in the wrong century. Sir and ma'am, I get that they're very polite. They do have this sort of enforced reverence. At my school, you know, we did say sir or ma'am or miss. You know, we use titles, not names. (laughs) But (laughs) when I started teaching, I was barely older than some of the students that I was teaching. I started working at a particular school when I was, I think, 21. I just turned 21. And some of my students were 18. They're in their final year of school. So that's quite an age difference at that time in your life. But now, fast forward, it's not really a difference at all. Three years. (laughs) But most of my students back then and well into my early and mid-20s would call me Bridie. And then I remember when it just overnight went to ma'am and I had this real crisis of confidence. I'm like, oh my God, now I'm like 95 years old. You think I'm a ma'am suddenly? (laughs) Because as well, I remember when I was a child, I just thought everyone over the age of 15 was ancient and an adult. And also I'm not good at telling ages, even now as an adult. I don't know. Like anyone who's left school, you're all the same age to me. I don't, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. But I just had this absolute like confidence shattering moment where it's like, oh no, suddenly I've become ma'am. My youthful disposition has gone. My outlook on life must have changed. Like you think I'm haggard, (laughs) like all of these things. (laughs) Also at the tender age of 22, I had one of my seven-year-old students come up to me and stare at my face very intently and say, excuse me, Miss Bridie. 
And I said, yes. And he said, are you wearing makeup? And I was wearing like tinted moisturizer and a bit of mascara. And I said, I actually am wearing a bit of makeup. And he said, oh, thank God. We were hoping you would start. <laughs> I was like, I'm too young to feel this old. Like, I just decrepit old hag. So, you know, teaching really does keep you humble in this age-focused and fearing society that we live in. Ah, Bridie Connor. And now you know the innermost workings of her mind. Isn't podcasting great? You can follow Bridie on Instagram at Bridie K. Connell, two N's, two L's, to keep up to date with her many varied projects. Some of those recent projects include working on the Amazon Prime sketch show The Moth Effect, which you should go watch, and her new podcast Vanity Project with former I Get That A Lot guest James Colley where they listen to albums put out by A-list celebrities. Some of the albums aren't very good, but the podcast itself is very good. I thoroughly recommend it. You can follow us on Instagram at IGetThatALotPod, and please also subscribe to the show wherever it is that you're listening to it. All the music in this episode was made by Louis Zong. For more of that self-same music, please visit louisong.com. The show is supported by my brilliant patrons. Thank you very much to them. If you'd like to join them, you'd not only be helping to make the show happen, but you get early access to I Get That A Lot and bonus episodes, including one with extra bits from my conversation with Bridie. She gives us further ruminations on getting married, whether Bridie is an old lady name, and I Get That A Lot's first name joke apology, where I apologise to Bridie for doing exactly the sort of Bridie joke she talked about here. To hear all of that, go to patreon.com slash jimfishwick. Thank you very much for listening. It truly is very cool of you. If you like the show in general, please tell a friend, or dare I say, friends, about it. And if you like this episode in particular, maybe try episode two with Laura Irish, another multinational improviser. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode, featuring playwright Benny Marama. But until that time, dear listener, bye-bye.